0: Gather round, gather round, my friends. It's time to tell some spooky stories by the campfire. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you made it back for another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy, and allegedly true, Appalachian Trail horror stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. and stories like yours that help keep this show going. Now, without further ado, let's get into these creepy and allegedly true Appalachian Trail horror stories that'll probably keep you from hiking in the near future. I loved camping. I used to spend every waking moment either camping or planning a camping trip. I loved being outdoors away from the suffocating mundanity of everyday events, the first world problems so to speak. I used to do it hardcore too, making shelters instead of taking a tent, drinking from mountain streams, hunting, and setting traps for our food. So in April of last year, two friends and I departed on a four-night hiking and camping trip on the Appalachian Trail. With loads more than fifty pounds, we marched twenty miles into the lush, green hills before reaching our first major water source, a long strip of tranquil, clear water set in a picturesque valley. The journey took us about two days, with around eighteen hours of straight marching, our packs digging agonizingly into our shoulders with every step, yet the sense of achievements was intoxicating. Days and night rolled by as we worked on our way along the trail foraging food as we went. It was tiring, a constant struggle, but the sense of peace that the outdoors can provide is profound. At night, we skewered hot dogs on sticks, wolfing them down as we warmed sweet apple cider in our mess tins over the fire. We listened to owls call out like ghosts and watched embers dance up into the air like fireflies as our eyelids grew heavy. We found a fair amount of fruit and fresh water. It was plentiful but our attempts at finding protein came short at each turn. We were unable to find any duck eggs, too slow or too inexperienced to snare rabbits, and our improvised fishing rods weren't working as well as we were used to. We were getting desperate, and although we were trying, man cannot live on cereal bars and peanut butter alone. We would have to take a journey to the nearest town, nearly seven miles away. This is where things get bad, because we got lost. After a few hours of walking, we began to climb a steep hill by means of a shortcut. The whole way up, I remember watching a thick fog cling to the top of the hill, at least 500 meters above us. Only it wasn't exactly clinging. It was just waiting, waiting for the temperature to drop low enough for it to roll down onto us, over us, and it did. I remember the image of my friend Chris being severely obscured as I walked behind him. We tried to remain cheerful, Then we came upon what seemed to be the remains of a newborn lamb. April is a birthing month for sheep, so this isn't necessarily an unusual sight, but these remained completely unscathed. No scavengers had touched these corpses, and there were quite a few of them. We were relieved when the outline of a cottage came into view. We had absolutely no idea where we were, and there was no mention of any cottage on our map. My feet ached and our water supplies dwindled. Having not expected to be out or lost for such a long time, we decided to stop and ask for directions. We had to climb over a low, dry stone wall to reach the building itself. As the cottage was oddly set into the hillside, I noted with grim interest that there was no path leading to or from any kind of road or highway, the dwelling being completely cut off from all human contact. We stopped as we reached the front gate or what passed off as a front gate. It was made of a few roughly cut tree limbs, crudely bound together with rusted nails and rotting twine. Chris tried to open it, but there was no hinge. It just fell back onto his hands. He set it aside politely, albeit confusedly. The small courtyard before the front door was overgrown with weeds, grass growing long between the broken slabs of concrete beneath our feet, Dotted around a smaller front garden was an assortment of curios placed in decorative positions. Things were tied to the branches of a sapling in the center of the haggard lawn. Small toy cars, tennis balls, a hairbrush. A wheelbarrow sat at the front of it, filthy from exposure, containing a few soggy-looking books, some VHS cassettes, and a children's action figure. They were oddly arranged in a rough circle around the action figure, Arriving nervously at the door, I reached my arm out, feeling it grow heavy as I made a fist. I rapped three times, making it shake under the force then waited, listening for signs of life, peering through a small, filthy window to the right of the decrepit door. I could make out yet more assorted, seemingly non-related items scattered on the shelves and tables. That's when I turned to Chris. I remember simply remarking that we should move on, and that there was nobody home. But he didn't respond. There was something about him. He looked pale and confused. I can hardly explain it now that I try to recall it. He'd been looking through the grubby windows as I had been knocking on the door and had gotten a much better look inside the house. It was almost like he had seen something but just could not explain what it was. He began shaking his head violently, hyperventilating, as he rushed out of the little courtyard. I was completely confused, a little frightened, and began shouting after him asking him why the hell he was acting so strange. Yeah, the little cottage was weird as hell, but he was acting like he had just seen a ghost or something. He only replied to me once through gritted teeth. We need to leave now. Later that night, while we were nursing beers around our campfire, I finally plucked up the courage to ask him what he had seen through the window. He started shaking his head in that same weird way, stuttering as he tried to find the words to articulate himself. He went on to explain that someone had been in that cottage the whole time hiding from us, that as I had been banging away, trying to get their attention, that they had taken one solitary look outside at us, right into my buddy's eyes. My buddy said he had never seen anyone so messed up, that he couldn't tell if they were disabled or if they had just been beaten so badly that their face had been rearranged. He said that when they'd locked eyes, the figure on the other side of the glass looked honestly terrified. But there's no way that they could have been surviving alone up there. Something else was living there too. Something that might have been heading back to us, to arrive at any moment. I thank God we didn't find out what it was. Hi everyone, my name is Lena. I'm Malaysian and I spent a summer in the United States as a part of a school program at Virginia Tech University. There are lots of extracurricular activities to do. I mean, what else were we going to do with our spare time? So, I got to know a lot of my classmates rather well, while doing all sorts of cool things. One of the most amazing things I got to do while there was a hiking trip in the Appalachian Mountains, in the Appalachian Trail, I managed to get some pictures of the most stunning views I have ever seen in my life, and walking those hills will remain one of my most memorable moments. But I'll never forget this interesting encounter I had in the Appalachians, for one reason, because it included one of the most hair-raising, terrifying experiences of my life, one of which left me shaking for the amount of adrenaline running through me. So, at one point, we were taking a break from hiking, eating some snacks, and taking sips from our bottles of water that didn't manage to stay very cold for long. I'm chatting with my best friends on the trip, Sol and Gabby, when we hear some rustling in the foliage next to us. The next thing I hear is our guide whispering, Don't move. No one move a muscle. This was strange to me because they had been confident to the point of cockiness all the way up until now. A real outdoorsy manly man type. But hearing the fear in their voice made my blood turn to ice, which has no small feet on such a hot day. I did what I was told, I did not move, I just sort of shifted my eyes in the direction of the rustling, and when I saw what came out of the bushes, I could not even scream as I was so scared. It was like I had been turned into a stone statue, albeit one that trembled uncontrollably with fear. It was a bear, a black bear and it was walking right towards me. I suppose it had been attracted to the smell of our snacks. From what I understand, black bears don't have the best eyesight, but they do have an incredible sense of smell, and even though we weren't cooking any food, it must have been close enough in the area to pick up the scent. I stayed as still as I possibly could as it walked up to me, but when it stood up on its hind legs, I swear my heart nearly stopped beating altogether. I had no idea they could do that. Like, I knew of black bears and, you know, grizzly bears and polar bears and stuff like that, but I never thought that they did this behavior. But oh my god, this thing was not small when it stood up like that. It was easily six feet tall. I was trembling and holding back whimpers of fear as it started to sniff at my hijab, knowing that if I made one wrong move, if I didn't keep my cool and stay perfectly still, it might just maul me to death right then and there. It was probably the most terrifying moment of my life so far. It seemed to have lost interest in me after a few moments, moving on to my friend Saul, who just dropped the sandwich he was eating immediately. The bear sniffed at it, but ignored it, and then did the same thing to her, standing on its hind legs and sniffing at her face and neck. Then suddenly, just out of nowhere, it just lost interest in us and wandered off into the woods again. We all breathed a heavy sigh of relief, Thanking God that it wasn't hungry or ballsy enough to have attacked us. Never in all my years have I ever been in such an up-close encounter with such a powerful wild beast. It left an incredible mark on me, giving me a profound respect for nature, even more than I had beforehand. I just thank God it wasn't a grizzly or something that was a little bit more aggressive. Because if it was, I more than likely wouldn't be here to tell this story. I used to lead an outdoor club, and one of the trips I would always take people on was to the Smoky Mountains in mid October. The Smokies are beautiful, and we would do a four night backpacking loop using the backcountry three walled shelters along the Appalachian Trail. The weather was perfect fall colors, cool nights, and the classic fog that gives the Smokies their name. It was our last night on the trail, and we were staying on top of Mount Laconte, one of the tallest mountains in the Smokies. I had reserved all the spots in the shelter, about 12, and there were no other campsites on top of the mountain, so I knew we would be alone. Here's some background. Bear with me. The top of Mount Lacante has a western lookout point, an eastern lookout point, and a half-mile trail called the Boulevard that connects the overlooks and runs the ridgeline of the mountain. The trails are covered by scraggly evergreens that cling to the top of the mountain, and there are thousand-foot drops alongside the trailing edge. The shelter is about midway on the trail. All my friends and I decided that we would sleep under the stars. So we went to the next shelter. The Milky Way was incredible from there. Sometime around 5am, we were all going to walk to our sleeping bags to the eastern lookout point to see the sunrise. But we stayed up late, and my friend and I decided that he and I would just go to the eastern lookout at 3am and chat until the sun began to rise. It was a chilly night and the fog had begun to roll in. It pushed through the dense evergreens and limited the visibility to the bright white cones from our headlamps. My friend and I grabbed our bear spray and sleeping bags and started walking eastward on the boulevard. Once we started moving I realized how bad the visibility actually was. The trail snaked through the foggy trees and you could never see what was around the next bend. There were reports of bears in the area so I kept my bear spray out and made as much noise as I could. The fog rolled through the trees like a haunted house. It's something that I'd never forget. As I turned to bend, I nearly ran into a man. He's standing alone in the middle of the trail facing me, not wearing a t-shirt and only has a small book bag. Keep in mind it's about freezing outside. With bear spray leveled, I stammer, Hello? No response. I ask him where he is coming from and where he is going. I don't know. His facial expressions look lifeless. I ask him where he's planning on sleeping tonight. Given that he has no gear, he replies, I don't know, with you? Hell no. I could put it together pretty quick. This guy was definitely on a lot of drugs. He eventually admitted that he had walked from a town that is about 30 miles away, but he kept on saying he wanted to stay with us at the shelter. Then he would speak nonsense. Suddenly he said, I'm being followed by a dog. I figured he was just seeing things, so I ask what it looks like. It's big and black, and it has an orange collar. I realize it's probably one of the tagged bears in the park. This sketchy guy is being stalked by a bear and leading it towards my friends who are sleeping in a shelter. I tell him I know of a spot he can stay, a luxury cabin around 15 minutes down the mountain, where they can call the NPS. I tell him to walk in front of me, and I start directing him around where to turn. I figured if he tried something erratic, I could blind him with my light and follow up with the bear spray. I eventually get him down to his cabin, wake up the employees to let them know what he needs. They tell me I can leave, so I head back to my friends and tell them what's going on. Before I get to sleep, I jog back down to the rangers to make sure everything is fine. And it seemingly was. My boyfriend and I are a young couple in their mid-college years. We decided that we wanted to get away from the work and our studies for the weekend, so we took a trip to the nearest hiking trail that is a part of the Appalachian Trail. We decided to leave on a Friday once I got off work and backpack up the trail to camp and stay there over the weekend. I work in a restaurant, and it's very difficult to have some time set aside to be able to leave work. I ended up leaving work around 4pm, but we said that no matter what we would be going on this trip. We finally left for the trail, and we began hiking at around 5.30. My boyfriend was an Eagle Scout, so we had all the necessary supplies for a successful camping trip, and of course, necessary substances to free our minds after the long hike. The first part of the hike was absolutely exhausting. It was all uphill, and we were both carrying at least 40 pounds in our metal-framed backpacks. An hour later, we finally passed the first shelter. If not many of you know... A shelter on this trail is about a 10 foot by 15 foot log cabin that only has three walls, as it is open to the outside. It's specifically used as a shelter to sleep in or hide from the rain. Midway through the hike, it began to pour dramatically in the forest. Sooner or later, we were both soaked from head to toe. The thick fog grew quickly, as it had been hot in a humid day. The trail became very slippery, and our pace slowed down tremendously. We had hoped that we were making good time to the camping site, but it turned very dark very quickly. We took a rest in the dark as it poured on us in hopes that we would be able to find our headlamps. Once we found our headlamps, we placed them on our heads, still struggling to balance ourselves on top of the rocky and muddy path. I thought by that point we would never make it to the shelter. We walked, never giving up, although I wanted to, as my socks and shoes were wet. I was tired, hungry, drenched, and cold. The temperature had also dropped more than 25 degrees as we made our way up. It was somewhere around 8.30 when we finally made it through to the second shelter and campgrounds. There was a split in the path. Either you could walk straight to continue to the top of the view, which was about a mile and a half away, or you could turn slightly and make a right on the path and continue up to the campgrounds. Or you could also take a 90-degree turn and walk right down to the shelter. At that point... We were drenched from head to toe and needed to dry off. It was still raining pretty bad, so it would have been nearly impossible to set up our camp and tent. We had decided that we would stay put in the shelter until the rain calmed down. We didn't hear anyone at the shelter, so I was extremely excited to have the place to ourselves and take a few tokes, if you know what I mean. After our hike, I was dead set on it. Once we walked to the shelter and got to the opening, there was a man and a woman in their 60s, we instantly thought to ourselves that they were an older couple who wanted to get away for the weekend too. We told them that we wouldn't be bothering them for long, so we put our backpacks down and attempted to dry off. The couple were very welcoming. With a lantern and an absorbing towel for me to dry off with, my boyfriend and I took our shirts off since they were both carrying a lot of weight and water. The couple seemed very normal, and the man brought a cute dog with him that I enjoyed playing with. We began introducing ourselves with our names and where we were from, and what we were doing out here. They both said they were in their 60s, their names were Joe and Maya, and they were just messing around for the weekend. In between sentences, they were taking large gulps of what looked like to be alcohol in their water pack. They said they were just having fun and met online, which veered off into dropping hints that they were there having an affair. The older woman, who says that she comes from West Virginia, struck me to be very weird. It began with her looks at first, having scraggly, shorter-length gray hair with circular glasses resting on her face. Her teeth were very dark, nearly covered in a brown film, as if she had been using hard drugs. She wore a pullover, hiking boots, and jean shorts that nearly exposed everything. Joe, on the other hand, was just an average white male, who had gray hair and was just a tad bit overweight. They spoke about their past employments and what they had done in life. Maya said that she was a writer, who I did admire. We continued to exchange information and small talk, since they seemed very friendly. I was in a very bad mood though, and very irritable until I smoked some. My boyfriend and I periodically showed each other our phones to communicate, as we didn't have any service, but we didn't want to say things out loud. We agreed that it was okay to start smoking since they were becoming drunk. They said they didn't mind, but would like to join. I thought it was absolutely insane that they wanted to smoke at that age. The man only took two hits, but the woman took many, and she was struggling a lot to even flick the lighter. The guys began their own conversation, and the woman and I veered off on our own as well. The woman began to ask me strange questions, and then told me some sort of story. As she inched closer and closer to me, she would ask me to tell her a story. She grew more and more demanding, saying, Tell me a story. My boyfriend and I met online, just as they did, so I was going to tell her about the story of how we met. I began the story with, So you met online, right? The woman nearly cuts me off and angrily says, What? Why would you say that? I said to her, You all met online, right? She nearly cuts me off again and then aggressively says, What? Why would you say that? I said again, Earlier, Joe said you all met online, didn't you? She nearly shouts and growls. Why do you say that? I wanted to jump away from the conversation quickly, so I asked her, Well, you're a writer, you said, right? So why don't you tell me about one of your best stories? The woman suddenly becomes very happy and giggly, and while swirling her hands around her head in the air, she said, Well, I'm a writer, in my mind. I was extremely confused and creeped out at this point. I honestly just didn't know what to say. I'm the type of person to laugh it off, so that's what I tried to do. She just said she's enjoyed being a writer in her mind. I look over at my boyfriend and Joe's conversation and it seemed to be as normal as can be. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it from what I could tell, but Maya nearly gave me the chills as she got my attention, getting closer into my face, asking me what I was saying. The problem was I wasn't saying anything. I was silent, ignoring her. She began talking to herself. She would make very in-depth hand gestures as she spoke to herself, then would ask me what I was saying to her. I just wasn't saying a word, and she would wonder what I was telling her. She would abruptly say, yes, no, maybe, no way, yeah, it can't wait, wait, huh? It was very weird. As she started to rock back and forth waving her arms around, she began crossing her legs, holding her arms up in the air above her head. She started to shout, coming out, I'm coming out, I'm coming out. She was nearly talking gibberish. None of this made any sense and was creeping me out. The older man's attention was caught, and he asked her what in the world she was doing. She says I'm calling out, it's witchcraft. I was nearly high and terrified of all my surroundings. It stormed loudly in the background and was pitch black all around us. A small lamp rested on a beam above our heads in the middle of the wooden shelter. It was very wet and very vulnerable. Everything slowly began to get worse that night. Maya kept slurring her words, and the man demanded she gets in her sleeping bag and sleep. I sat against the wall next to my boyfriend very closely as the man crawled into his sleeping bag and Maya attempted to put her legs in the sleeping bag but couldn't figure out how it worked apparently. She moved around for a very long time and finally ended up curling up next to Joe on top of her sleeping bag. She was probably freezing as it was 35 degrees by 9.30. Only a few minutes passed and we heard Maya whisper. Maya said angrily, What did you give me? She growls again. What did you give me? The man finally woke up and demanded, "'What?' Maya hits him on his back and yells, "'What did you give me?' She jumped up immediately facing us. Her eyes were nearly all black as her pupils were so enlarged. She looked nearly sadistic, and yelled at us, "'What did he give me?' My boyfriend and I tensed up, nearly losing our minds. She screams, the same thing over and over, even louder. As her voice screeched into my eardrums, she once again turned around to the man, laying down behind him. She slowly whispered into his ear, "'Did you give me acid?' It began to run through my mind that he had drugged her, or she was having a flashback of a bad trip. Joe attempted to calm her down, but she was still restless. She laid down for approximately five minutes, but Maya immediately sat up. She faced us with her legs crossed. She stared at us without breaking eye contact for at least five minutes. She did this every so often, sitting up staring at us, then laying back down. She would do this repeatedly, so we decided to leave. We finally found our way out as she stared at us for one last time. We pitched a camp as far away as possible, but I remained sleepless that night in fear Maya would find our tent and crawl into it. So I never have connected the strange personal experience I had with any of this phenomenon that I've been reading about the missing 411 recently. But I realized I did have a very strange experience in a park That although isn't quite as dramatic as some of the other accounts, is still nonetheless quite strange. I really don't have a good explanation for it, and honestly, my mind has never really been able to make sense of it. Like I said, it's certainly not as dramatic as many of the stories on this show. There can easily be some rational explanations, I'm sure, and I know people will throw them out. Honestly, I'm not sure what it was, and I have zero conclusions in my mind, if it was even anything at all. I'm the kind of person who rationalizes all their personal experiences of the weird in my mind. So I experienced what I believe was a time slip. I've been reluctant to share this on the show in fear that it would make my other contributions doubted. So I experienced what I believe was a time slip. I've been reluctant to share this story on the show because I don't want people to think that I'm crazy and doubt my other information that I put out there. It's a thing I haven't talked about much with many people. I have talked about it with the other people who experienced similar things and a few people who I've been close with, but it's just not something I've talked much about. And honestly, after talking about it at length with a few people who were there right after it happened, I felt like I would never bring it up again. So please forgive any errors and it being a bit foggy as it's been a long time since this occurred. So, this happened around the mid-90s in Florida in the Blackwater River State Park. It's only a state park and not a national one. Blackwater is a very extensive and very popular trail that connects to other trails. Although not officially a part of the Appalachian Trail, there are trails that join up to that trail and go all the way to the Appalachian. It's a very popular destination for hiking, especially up and down the East Coast, that's for sure. I had a bunch of my friends decided to go out to Carrick for a three-day weekend. This isn't really all that unusual, as we frequently camped at Carrick and other sites... We packed up and headed out Friday, nothing unusual for us. We were all between the ages of 16 and 22 years old. Most of us were still in high school except for my friend's boyfriend who was 22. He was also the most experienced camper and a former Eagle Scout. We set up a designated primitive site a good way away from most of the other sites on the trailhead. We didn't realize how well traveled that trail was, and it had quite a bit of foot traffic. If we had known, we probably wouldn't have picked that site. The whole park was disappointingly packed with campers and hikers. In fact, all the parking lots were full. I guess the weather probably brought people out. Now, none of us were planning any extensive hikes as the goal of the weekend wasn't extensive hiking per se and was more about camping. But of course, Blackwater is known for hiking trails, so we figured we would be going on and off short hikes... You know, of course everybody wants to try to enjoy the scenery a bit, right? It was fall and the weather was gorgeous. We had purposely waited for the weather to cool and turn. Only masochists would go camping in the dead humidity and heat of summer. Not to mention the bugs we also chose that weekend because of those of us in high school. Most of us had Monday off. Nothing of note really happened, and we were all having a pretty good time. We went for some group hikes and some solitary hikes off the loop. Nothing noteworthy. So anyway... Long story short, I get up very early Sunday before the sun rises and decided that I'm going to do a short solo hike. I tell my tentmate what trail I'm going on and when I should be back. No big deal. I had a decent-sized breakfast and I grab some water and head out. So I head out on this trail. It's just about sunrise and I'm having a great time. The trail is clearly marked with blazes and signs, with miles at regularly intervaled parts. It is a very well-maintained, heavily-traveled trail. I decided I'm going to hike to the nearest landmark, about a mile and a half away. At the time, I was an experienced hiker and in an excellent physical shape, as I was an athlete on more than one sports team. I could hike at a pace far quicker than most, but I allotted for two hours. It seemed reasonable enough to do a full three-mile circle. So I hiked to the place and stayed for about ten minutes, if that, because it was disappointingly scenic. In fact. I was kind of irritated because I knew there were much prettier and more scenic hikes I could have taken for the same amount of time. I felt like it was such a waste for the last day of the trip, but I headed back and nothing seemed to be happening. No bad feelings, nothing unusual. The only thing that was odd is that I encountered not a single hiker on the trail, but I just chalked it up to being an early Sunday. Anyways, I get back to the campsite and everyone is obviously very upset. I asked why and apparently everyone was freaked out because of me. I apparently had not returned when I was supposed to and they had even supposedly gone down the trail looking for me. When they couldn't find me, they had said that they had decided to wait for camp just for a little longer to see if I would come back. When I didn't come back in an hour or so, they were freaking out and about to report me to the park ranger. I found out it was early afternoon. Everyone was super angry at me because I hadn't stuck to the plan. I told my tent mate that I would be back by a certain time and I never was. No one ever believed my story that I hiked to the place I said and came right back. Everyone for years was still convinced I was playing a joke on everyone and hiding or trying to be funny. It's entirely possible I could have spent more time on the trail than I thought, maybe just got mixed up or something. But what I still can't get out of my mind is two things. How could I have possibly spent that much time hiking three miles? I didn't linger or stop anywhere, and I 100% stayed on the same exact trail it was a really disappointing trail, so there really wasn't anything to look at that would have made me slow down or get off of it. The trails were very well maintained with blazes and signs. There is no way you could really step off the trail and not know it. And I was an athlete, so in my prime physical shape. The other thing that's bizarre to me, still to this day, I've never been able to put the pieces together. If people were searching for me on the trail, how did they not pass me? Honestly, I cannot resolve this in my mind and I don't think anyone else ever accepted my version of events. Being somebody who's hiked the Appalachian Trail a few times themselves, it's one of the most beautiful and most scenic places you could possibly find in the United States. And if you're ever visiting the East Coast, it's a must-travel destination. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button, as it helps me out a ton in the YouTube algorithm. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and I really appreciate it. If you're listening to this on iTunes or another podcast platform, please give this a 5-star rating, as it helps me out a ton over there. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode, as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help us keep going on a daily basis. I'd love to know in the comments down below, what story tonight was your favorite? Honestly, it's always so hard for me to try to pick a favorite story in these videos. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. And like I said, it's absolutely free to do so. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and potentially giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, maybe check out the merch store. I have t-shirts, hoodies, and much more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool swamp threads. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you guys. Be sure to join me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.